Thank you for having me here Kedar it's a real pleasure to be here yeah uh thank you and yeah i've come up with few questions uh, but uh, to begin with um, i would like to ask you like uh since you worked uh, since you studied at oxford what was the experience like and what was the course in particular which uh, helped you navigate the in the profession that you are in and also some bits about your learning experience at oxford also So I was actually very very lucky to be a part of this very interesting course called MAD mm-hmm. uh, uh MAD with an extra A uh, is basically uh, an advanced architectural design course which is run by uh David Green and Andrew Holmes both very very well known architects in, uh, in the UK and um I uh, I was very very um privileged to be uh working with David Green Mm-hmm. uh and he was my tutor and this course was a very interesting course because they made us do everything from um movie making to book writing wow. to uh dressing up in different characters to role playing uh to picking up separate uh, different alter egos as people and so this course was something that i had never expected an architecture course to be especially uh looking at what we are t- how and uh, uh the way the construct of architecture courses in india is i was ne- not expecting this so it mm. came as a complete uh, surprise a bit of a shock also when mm. the course started because it was a very different way of thinking uh it was extremely out of the box mm-hmm. you go more lateral yes and yeah. coming from this very structured uh, education system in india it was difficult in the beginning the first semester i just somehow managed to get through um <laughs> and uh and i think the only point uh, i actually started enjoying the course was when i told myself that i do not want to clear this course i just want to enjoy it mm-hmm. um and when i shifted my um minds <laughs> i actually started enjoying the course because then i really became extremely passionate about what they wanted us to do mm-hmm. instead of trying to do something to just meet the requirements mm-hmm. uh it was a very very interesting process um sorry but uh, wasn't it uh, described in the semesters uh, because they typically have like a syllabus right what will be learning actually not so david and andrew so andrew homes was actually azhar hadid's tutor Mm-hmm. and uh david green uh was one of the founding members of archigram which was a very very unconventional futuristic thinking uh group of uh, architects in the 70s who had come up with the archigram which was a very um unconventional journal mm-hmm. architectural journal so these guys always thought very abstract and uh in fact a curriculum was called 
Armstrong space suit. So it wouldn't make sense when you read the curriculum. It's only once you went there. And I still remember the first day we had uh, the first meeting in class, we were asked to dress up as one fictional character Mm -hmm. uh, from something that inspires you from your country or something which is completely abstract from your country. So I remember I went um, dressed as Ganesha with Mm -hmm. a trunk. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole day we had to think and behave like the character. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really fun, the whole mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the biggest learning was that architecture is not about building. Mm-hmm. And I think that I still feel was the biggest gift in life because it's never really about the built form anymore. It's beyond it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also, uh, I think the other big learning was that enjoy the process, enjoy mm. what you're doing, enjoy, enjoy the now. Don't mm. think about the final product as much. It will shape up. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're especially if you're passionate about the now, the final product will shape up. So that was a very different way of thinking, and that was really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I would highly recommend this course to anybody who's planning to go mm-hmm. abroad to study. Uh, David is almost 85, 90 now, so I don't know for how long will this mm-hmm. go on, but. I would highly recommend this. Mm-hmm. And what yeah. were your learnings? Uh, if you reflect back, uh, any particular instance that, like this Ganesha, for example, or any other instance you must have gone through, uh, it is how long? Like two year, three year course? No, this was actually, uh, normally it's a two year course, but we did a crash one. So this was a one year program. Mm-hmm. So any intense. particular instance out of which uh, you uh, now imbibe that, that particular thought and then it reflects back in your work? Because somehow it has to marry, right? Or it's just a learning thing. No, there was... I still remember halfway through my course because uh, at at one point I was quite dejected because all the international students had really good knowledge of softwares and uh, which I didn't have uh, coming from my background. And at some point I felt that I would never be able to match up. Mm -hmm. And this course had a very low ratio of students clearing the course. Mm -hmm. So at some point, I almost gave up and decided to enjoy my time in England instead of finishing this course. Mm -hmm. So I bought, I went online to eBay and I bought myself a tent trailer, which was like a mobile tent. And I went and parked it near the Stonehenge and I decided to spend the remaining half of the year there, just having fun. Uh, so when David called me, he said, where are you? And I said, David, sorry, I'm one and a half hours away from Oxford and it's too expensive to drive down. So I don't think I'm going to finish this course. Mm -hmm. And he just said one thing. He said, can I ask you for something? I said, yes. He said, just document what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Look around, see and document. And I think what that really taught me was to start looking. And that's when I realized that I didn't know how to look. Mm hmm. I was all my life, I looked, but I didn't really look. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was really interesting because I started documenting. I looked at all the other camper vans that were parked around me. I started drawing it. I started making models out of it. And then David asked me to just come and meet him once a month Mm -hmm. at any pub or the university, whatever I would choose. And every time I met him, he just said, look more, look further, look deeper, look harder Mm -hmm. and just document it. And at the end of the course, though I didn't follow any of the university curriculum requirement of of a final thesis project, I documented the whole thing. I created a pack of 36 tarot cards Mm -hmm. uh, using my own sketches and drawings and created a story around it. And I just submitted that 
along with a little CD. And that was it. <laughs> they were really happy. The jury was really happy. Everybody was really happy. They liked the work. And I think that taught me something really big for life. One is obviously the art of looking, the art of observing, the art of documenting. But it also taught me that you can always have your own story. You mm. don't have to be a part of someone else's story. You don't have to copy anyone else's story. Just live your own story and mm -hmm. it will pan out beautifully if okay. you're honest uh, mm -hmm. in the process. So that was, I think, a very beautiful learning. Wow. Yeah, that's inspiring. In fact, uh, yeah, I've done with few professors also from IDC and NID. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure if they listen, it would be like a learning curve for them as well to uh, explore other means of educating someone. Um, yeah, so coming to the topic uh, which I've chosen for today, which is Goan architecture. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to like, just ask, uh, what are the unique characteristics which you have observed maybe uh, of Goan architecture and interior? I mean, which all things have shaped uh, its look, its form, its feel, uh, especially in the Goan context? And if you can also elaborate, I know it's slightly a historical question, like a historian's question, but uh, if you have any insights into the character of architecture, post-colonial also, pre-colonial also for Goa. So Goa uh, being um, a part of the Portuguese colony for four centuries has a lot of influence uh, from the uh, Portuguese architecture. 18th century also sees uh, influences of neoclassical Baroque architecture, mainly in the churches. But for Goan homes, uh, it was a very interesting mix of uh, uh, the Portuguese style of architecture combined with local materials, which is the local laterite stone, which is abundantly found in Goa. Mm -hmm. um, and what is also very beautiful about Goan architectures, the Indo-Portuguese houses, is they used a lot of... Uh, vibrant colors mm. uh, using natural dyes and lime washes mm. so that gives it a very distinct uh, characteristic the Correct. all over goa yeah. uh, it's somewhat like thissur also thissur has also a lot of vibrant colors yes yeah. yes so all these natural indigos and uh, are beautiful shades which one would normally not think of using but they were beautifully used and mm -hmm. it blends in very well with the nature there with the landscape uh, it doesn't stand out as too stark it in fact it blends in very beautifully all the yellows and mm. blues and but greens. is it because a lot of them are of the similar pattern because like suppose there's a like a gray landscape and mm -hmm. which in which one house is yellow then it will stand out but since it's multicolored it just gels naturally there and i think to be honest the background which is all green mm. uh in go at least at least as of now it's still very green mm. uh i think it uh works as a very good base palette for all the colorful vibrant houses mm -hmm. so i think it goes in well together Mm -hmm. um, but before that, before the 15th century, I think Goa had mainly mud houses, mm. uh, where not much use of color, uh, very monochrome, chromatic rather. And uh, but these were also beautiful houses. They were simple, very modest. As uh, the Indo-Portuguese are very, very elaborate homes. Uh, they talk about the grandeur of the Portuguese era. Before that, the Goan homes were very simple. Were mainly Hindu. Uh, with mud houses, with a small tulsi outside and thatched roof. Uh, Goa has always had sloping roof because of the abundant monsoon that we have. Uh, and the mud houses worked very well with the heat 
in the mm. summer time so it mm. would help keep the house cooler on the inside lime plaster was always used um so i think it was a very modest landscape before mm. the portuguese time mm. in goa okay and now that we look at that landscape are there any peculiar characteristics um which establish so if you put that house in some other place say a belgaon Mm-hmm. Will it still still look like a Goan architecture? And if it does, then what are the characteristics? So Goan uh, architecture has very very strong uh, elements, especially a typical Indo-Portuguese house. For example, the terracotta tile roof, the mm. sloping roof, uh, the color of the exterior, small elements like the balcony, so typical covered veranda. seat a built-in seat every goan house so it was a part of the stro- uh, social construct at that time that in the evenings the the members of the house would sit outside and interact with the people on the street and with their neighbors and uh, it was a very social uh, lifestyle so mm-hmm. it speaks of that lifestyle mm-hmm. and uh, so these are very typical elements which are not found anywhere else mm-hmm. um, so i think yeah it would definitely stand out mm-hmm. if you placed it anywhere else yeah. I've been to some parts of Kokan, and you can see a similar architecture where you have a uh, like outside the wada, you have a small sitting area where the family sits together and has like a very warm conversation to have like a nice intimate space. There is, yeah, uh, yeah. With Studio Momo, uh, uh, I believe it's inspired by Wabi Sabi philosophy, which obviously I read from your <laughs> website. Uh, but is it because goa is a sea destination where anyways time wears out things like really quick uh, again as per my understanding you can correct me if i'm wrong uh, so was wabi sabi like a conscious effort um, or is it because you like that form or is it because the destination demands it or is there any cultural context to it so wabi sabi is a buddhist philosophy uh, which talks about beauty appreciating beauty in imperfection hmm. um it talks about uh, how things in nature have a cycle of growth and decay and erosion and it teaches you to embrace things for what they are mm-hmm. now when i look at the wabi sabi way of life or wabi sabi way of architecture it's got a certain um there there is there's a set style to it but before i had discovered wabi sabi which happened gradually um i knew that i had a certain liking for that kind of design sensibility those kind of materials that kind of texture um wabi sabi is very earthy mm-hmm. and uh, it was something that i always connected to without knowing the philosophy so um it's sort of all came in together at the same time uh, when i came across wabi sabi but at the same time uh, the decision to move from england back to goa was completely mine uh, keeping in mind that i wanted to be based somewhere very close to nature mm-hmm. uh, so all of it fell together at the same time subconsciously it wasn't a very conscious move um and obviously um when one started designing because our practice did start somewhere in goa uh it was a very conscious decision to stay true to the environment goa has beautiful trees uh there's so much that you can learn from nature so i think somewhere it just happened 
very subconsciously when one is surrounded by a certain kind of landscape and you're absorbing from like a sponge from things around you and also observing uh, mm. nature which is which you're surrounded with unlike in the cities um you do somewhere get inspired mm-hmm. so when when we started designing it was a very conscious effort not to cut trees to create spaces which were a uh, complementing uh, nature inside outside kind of spaces where uh, you do bring nature within your house you work with it and then obviously it was a very conscious uh, thought to the kind of materials you use and we always wanted to be very environmentally conscious so the minute you start working with natural materials like stone and wood nature always follows wabi sabi nature mm. has a cycle nature will erode but nature will age nature will weather so all of that happens automatically when you work with natural materials so it mm-hmm. sort of came together and of course uh, with learning uh, since we also as a firm were trying to be very uh, environmentally uh, conscious with the choice of materials we used and what we did even in, of course in architecture but also in interiors and we started working a lot with upcycling furniture mm-hmm. uh because we didn't want to use fresh wood we didn't want to cut more trees so we we started working a lot with uh upcycling uh antiques and maybe even junk mm-hmm. and uh but you also realize when you look at these old pieces that there's something so beautiful uh i still remember there's a piece that i'd found um a very very old panel which we used in one of our projects villa where they in the living room it was a panel which was lying uh behind a lot of junk in a small shop in gujarat and i still remember i thought it was extremely beautiful and the guy who was trying to sell it to me he just couldn't understand what was so beautiful about it he just he didn't know why i would want to buy it and bring it all the way to goa mm-hmm. uh but when we did it up when we cleaned it when we uh just waxed it put it up in a beautiful setting everyone wanted it mm-hmm. uh so i think it's just a, being able to appreciate uh things for what they are and to be able to see the beauty so it just happened very subconsciously it developed over time very subconsciously i've changed so much as a person um also in my personal thought processes um choice of fabrics of what i like to wear to what i like to eat to where i like to shop from have all these choices that become very conscious mm-hmm. uh so i think the whole wabi sabi thing is happening on many levels <laughs> not just to say yeah. that's great to hear because then it also reflects the kind of passion you put into your thing because personally even i am going route uh, like a minimalistic route style so it actually lines up where you shop and what you shop and then how long is it going to last so that you don't have to buy it again <laughs> um uh, so on the same lines uh, what i've seen uh, at least on the website and few of the articles online the houses which you have designed uh, both interior and exterior yes they have antique but they still look very polished and like uh posh if i may call that uh so if you have any particular case study or any of your learnings from any of the site uh, say like a villa korao right so any particular um particular demand or particular request from the client that i want uh this look and it goes against the wabi sabi style so 
uh, not against, but yeah, you have to convince or whatever, like that particular balance. A lot Any of that happened, uh, especially when in the beginning, uh, before we had, um, before we had a set style that type was developed. Uh, now it's much easier because clients have seen what we do, they like what we do, and hence they come to us. But in the beginning, uh, to win, convince a client who's used to uh, Italian marble mm. to uh, go for the simplest natural stone which is available in the vicinity uh, was a bit of a challenge, but also uh, it was a learning that we had to go through together as designer and clients. And to be honest, we've been very, very lucky with clients. And we've always had clients who've trusted in us, who've um, believed hmm. in the passion and believed in the uh, in the design principles of uh, wanting to keep it more local and wanting to uh, keep it more environmentally friendly. So they've actually always encouraged us. Mm -hmm. So we've been very lucky in that sense. Um, and... Uh, Yes, I think we've always been very lucky, to be honest. When mm -hmm. I think about it, uh, all our clients, even to, till to date, we've never had someone who said no to something. They've always mm -hmm. said, let's try it. Mm -hmm. uh, and they've helped us push ourselves. So mm -hmm. that's been very good, actually. Um, but obviously, even for us, since we were learning and it was someone else's money at stake, so we had to be careful of what we were proposing. So we took baby steps, uh, even to use stone, normal local stone as flooring, as opposed to... Hmm. Uh, all the fancy materials which were available in the store. In eight years of practice, I have not visited a single showroom, uh, any interior design or wow. uh, not other than I think sanitary fittings and electrical switchboards uh, that also we've actually tried to create in-house, mm -hmm. uh, the switchboards at least. Uh, we haven't, we don't have, uh, we don't normally pick up things off the shelf mm -hmm. as much as possible. Even when it comes to flooring, we like to design our own custom design and all of that. So, uh, and also it's been a learning so everything has been a learning even our um, we design everything from our furniture to our upholstery to our cushion covers everything in house and of course there's a lot of detailing that goes into it but our clients also enjoy it because mm -hmm. it becomes something very unique for them to uh, but how do you have. communicate the value of doing such work because it's easy to take off the sh like take off from the shelf and just put it there right so what the kind of detailing you guys try and uh, achieve how do you communicate that it has some value because it's very difficult to get like clients who understand it automatically right actually not we've had no? clients who uh, have always appreciated um, because for example if you tell somebody that listen this is available off the shelf but I would rather create it using a natural fabric maybe a hemp uh, fabric and uh, give you something which is more meaningful and more environmental friendly, better for you, uh, better for the environment. They've all been open to it. Of course, they've liked to see the colors and what it would look like and how will it all go together, but they've been open to it. So, mm -hmm. in fact, we've been, I feel uh, we've been lucky because also we've been in Goa, mm -hmm. where most of the houses we've designed have been second homes. Mm -hmm. So, that's where they're also happy to experiment and yeah. happy to explore with us. Yeah. And so. yeah, have some spending power as well. <laughs> true, true, true. Yeah, yeah. So I want to actually ask you on further, uh, because this is the question which I'm dealing with currently, that uh, I have a person who's helping me with 
the interiors of my home mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of furniture i've either got it from behram bag which is uh, like a teak reclaimed teak and natural mm-hmm. wood uh, but there are certain pieces which i want to uh, design on my own right like the bookshelf i wanted now my interior person is saying that uh, you can go with ply or you can go with uh, a good pine wood or like mm. a solid rubber wood and have like a teak finish veneer on it mm. right now eventually it will look the same but it won't feel the same i am not able to comprehend myself what is that feel and i am not able to communicate that to the person as well so what goes uh, in actually selecting those natural materials what is different because you can get a look alike which has a longer shelf life because they are artificially made so what are the dynamics there uh so it also depends on what you believe in i would say uh <laughs> i work a lot with uh, reclaimed wood hmm. and there are like plenty of uh, places where you can find old wood which is obviously you have to work around the um sizes it's mm. it will not be to what you want you okay. have to work around so it will always you'll have to work backwards from mm. what you find uh, so sometimes you can find an old piece modify it to your needs sometimes you can just design based on what you find wow mm-hmm. so i think you slightly have to rewire that thought process where we are just used to uh you know things just being available as you imagine it to be this is slightly more um the other way around mm-hmm. where you first see what's available and then you tweak your design to that mm-hmm. but it once you start doing it it becomes very interesting but is it compromising i would say challenging yes compromising no mm-hmm. because no, compromising in the cells i want three shelves but i found a wood which is just going to cut and maybe make only two shelves so am i mm. living with that adjustment or so uh is depend on what you uh, believe is adjustment I, the way i would say it is i would say okay i got two shelves in wood i'll do two shelves in wood and maybe i'll do the third shelf in stone or metal mm-hmm. and that will make my bookshelf look really different and unique so i in my head i can already imagine two shelves in teak and my bottom shelf in brass or copper mm-hmm. and that will look beautiful Oh. Yeah, this is one interesting take which I'll have. Uh Well, I would like to conclude with uh, two last questions. Mm-hmm. Um uh one is about uh, you have also um designed and made few eco-friendly products. Right? Mm-hmm. So can you tell us more about it? Uh, like why um eco-friendly as in why is obvious but what made you think about making products as opposed to just Uh, being sort of a service agency. So when you try and uh, look at non-toxic products in the market, hmm. at least when we started a practice, there weren't many. Mm-hmm. When it came to polishes and paints, um, to be honest, you can't even find a non-toxic shampoo. in mm-hmm. the market. Mm-hmm. Uh so it was about then going back to your grandma's recipe of using amla reetha shika kai for your hair. Mm-hmm. The same thought process followed so we couldn't find something uh when we had started our practice one of our uh, painters was uh, diagnosed with lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And 
I did think of it at that time and there was a lot of toxic, especially with polishing and duco and all of that. There were a lot of fumes. I still remember going onto a site and smelling all that and it would just seem toxic. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if one didn't know the composition. Uh, and in India, nobody uses gas mask and, mm. you know, people are not very careful. And we tried getting their mask and stuff and it was too hot for them to wear it. And when he was diagnosed with lung cancer, it took a hit on me and we said, okay, let's try and find products in the market. And we couldn't find something in the Indian market. Maybe in the international market, yes, there were a lot of beautiful linseed, beeswax-based products, but not in India. But we also realized that India had all the ingredients to make those products. Mm -hmm. And in fact, India exported it to many parts of the world. So that's when we started going back to those old recipes and rediscovering. And then we created our own recipes, which are now patented in the UK. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we came up with um, a hard wax oil, which is for exterior wood. Uh, We've come um, with interior uh, furniture wax, which is again 100% natural. And also wall paints, which are 100% natural. So we have been using this for our own projects. And uh, we have recently got them patented in the UK and hopefully we'll be able to produce on a larger level. Wow, that's very interesting, yeah. Uh, Okay, Uh, so Meetu, I have one last question. Uh, Obviously, this is more dear to me because... uh, uh, Actually, I'll give you... I'll set some background here. Like, if you compare Apple, it does uh, uh, software and hardware also. Uh, currently, I'm working in Book My Show, which uh, in the live entertainment space, we not only enable discovery or booking on the site, but we also actually handle the ground operations. So it's always better to have like a complete ecosystem under you. So if you can share, and since you also do architecture plus interior, obviously not for all sites, but uh, uh, if few of the sites where you have done through and through. So what were the learnings there if you control the entire ecosystem? So actually we do... And would you advise uh, going that route? Or just... Because this is slightly generalization. When you get into, say, only interiors, then you specialize, right? So there are trade-offs in both the ends. Yes, so. it depends on how much time you have also. Hmm. Um, and how much are you willing... How much time are you willing to give to uh, a project? We do architecture, interior and landscaping for okay. all our projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in fact, and uh, architecture, interior, furnishing, upholstery mm-hmm. and landscaping. So, we get involved to every detail only because we are trying to make each project more and more environmentally conscious, which mm-hmm. is difficult to achieve if you're just picking up things off the shelf. So mm-hmm. it sort of has become, we are obviously collaborating with a lot of people now, people who are uh, like-minded and who are creating uh, like-minded products. Uh, but, and that's happening more and more in India now. Mm-hmm. But when we started, there were very few people working in this direction. Mm. Um, so it became, it, we were compelled to actually jump into every uh, aspect and um, experiment and create. Because it was very different from what the mainstream was doing at that time. Mm. Uh, recently, uh, someone asked me, why were we, why have we started doing our own landscaping? It's because that, it's because we do not want to create uh, manicured landscapes which require a lot of watering in the garden. Mm. And uh, it's, 
I don't know how many people actually think about these things, but it really bothers us as a firm. Uh, recently in Goa, the groundwater has been depleting more and more with more and more development. And the wells went dry this year. And it really bothers us to have a garden which is designed to uh, use a water tanker to water it. Mm-hmm. So now I've started studying about landscaping and about eco-landscaping and how one can use indigenous plants which require less water and instead of a manicured lawn which requires crazy amount of uh, water on a daily basis and maintenance, uh, uh, ecosystem that can be created uh, where you... And the thing is, when you start working with indigenous plants, you realize that your birds are coming back and your butterflies are coming back. So it's not just helping your own project, it's helping the environment uh, on on a larger scale. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we couldn't find someone who... Uh, had an expertise in this in Goa. So mm-hmm. the only way to do it then was to get your local gardener to start studying, reading and uh, get into it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, yes, I think that's how it's the whole controlling thing is happening from uh, just actually, the yeah. uh, intent mm-hmm. uh, to be conscious. Wow, beautiful. Yeah. In fact, I so we're working yeah. a lot with, uh, we're doing something new, which uh, a lot of other people are also doing in Goa, uh, where we're creating swimming pools, because a lot of people still insist on having swimming pools, though it's not the best thing. But we're at least using pools which are uh, naturally filtered. Mm-hmm. So these pools don't require any filtration system. They don't require any chemicals. They don't require chlorine. They're just filtered using natural plants, which is in a separate compartment. So you one third of your pool looks like a lotus pond, but it's actually filtering your entire swimming pool, which looks like any other normal swimming pool. And this water, after we tested it, has turned out to be cleaner than normal drinking water. Wow. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of these small, small steps which are taking us in the right direction, mm-hmm. but obviously requires involvement. So mm-hmm. so from what I gather, it's like the intent here is... Um, yeah, you're taking the entire spectrum of things as opposed to uh, having more control, which is like a very beautiful insight for me as well. It's a very holistic yeah, yeah. Uh, approach. Yeah. And doesn't we say you know, if we care, then we go that extra mile to actually exactly. fix things. Yeah. It's just that. I don't yeah. know for how long one will have the energy and time to yeah. go into no, so no, much detail. Yeah. But as of now, yes. Cool. I think this is a good note to end this. Uh, uh, if people have to follow your work, uh, follow you, Instagram, any any handle. Uh. So they can obviously Google us. Uh, uh, we are Studio, Studio Momo Goa. And Instagram is studio.momo. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thanks a lot, uh, Meetu, for giving your time. It was wonderful talking to you. And obviously, I hope the listeners also get some insights and go down the Wabi Sabi route and be more... Uh, eco-friendly I think Wabi Sabi is a great uh, life philosophy to yeah, have so yeah. I'll, I'll really ask all the listeners to go and check out Wabi Sabi and yeah. incorporate it in normal day-to-day life yeah definitely okay thank you thank you so much thank that's you yeah, bye. and that's it from today's Gyan session catch us on iTunes Savan Stitcher or any podcasting app you use Do rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Stay tuned for more Gyan on audiogyan.com. Till then, bye. Hello! It's been a great week on the IVM Podcast Network. On This Round is On Me, Gauri is joined by Shweta Nanda. They talk about the financial independence and how it is to be a woman entrepreneur. On Anish Thing, Anish welcomes ultra-marathon runner Shivani Gharat. 
Shivani shares her journey of how she ran her first marathon, the mindset of a runner, and what it actually takes to run a full marathon. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus, Naveen, Akash, and Shreyas talk about the Korean band BTS serving in the military and its repercussions. On Think Fast, Varun and Suchita discuss Wing Greens and their latest acquisitions, and about the Indian sexual wellness market. And on Shuni One, Sheila Dutta is joined by Dinika Bhatia, CEO and founder of Nutty Gritties. They talk about coming from a business family and Dinika's journey in creating healthy and guilt-free snacking. Once again, don't forget to visit our merch store on ivmpodcasts.com. We have some exciting new merch out there for you. Also, do follow us on social media. We are IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And do remember to spread the word about these shows and any other shows you might be listening to. Appreciate them, rate them, and review them wherever you are listening to them. You can also check out all our other shows on YouTube.com/slash/IVMPodcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week: Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, Kotak Privy League Program, and HDFC Mutual Fund. Thanks, guys. Without you, this would not be possible. Do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about Web three, blockchain, NFTs, DAOs? What are these terms, and how do they affect our future on the internet? So many questions, but don't worry, we've got answers to all your questions. Hi, I'm Eklavya Bhattacharya, and on our show, Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IVM Podcast app and the website, or wherever you get your podcasts from.